Well, hi, everybody. Hello, my name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New York and um, really good to be back here with everybody. I missed you all while I was away. And um, so tonight we're going to jump into the chapter, We Agnostics. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, like all chapters, right? It's a really important chapter. Um, it, it's because it's a chapter that really discusses um, obstacles that people have to cultivating and finding a relationship with God, which we'll learn when we look at this chapter is the purpose of this book. So this chapter is really designed for people who are struggling to meet the prerequisite for the purpose of this book. And, um, you know, <clears throat> I want to start with, I, you know, I like definitions. So I really, I want to start with the definition of an, of an agnostic, right? So if you look up agnostic, an agnostic is a person who holds the view that any ultimate reality, such as the reality of God, is unknown. So they say like it's unknown whether there's a God and probably unknowable. Like that is a very, that's a very important um, piece to the definition about an agnostic. So, so an agnostic doesn't just believe that they don't know, but they believe that it's actually not possible to know God, not possible to actually say, yes, emphatically, there is a God. And, and it's also someone who is not committed to believing in either the existence of God or the non-existence of God. So they've got no commitment to it. And two, it's a person who's unwilling to commit to an opinion about something. So this chapter is written for people who think that they cannot for sure know the ultimate reality of God and that believes that nobody can, that it's an impossible feat. And it's believing that God is unknowable. And it's also written for people who can't seem to commit to an opinion who lack commitment, right? So not able to have an opinion does not say not able to have an opinion because boy, I know I'm quite an opinionated person and many of us are. We come here with loads of opinions, but I can't stick to my opinion. I can't commit to it. I can't seem to make a commitment to something that I believe is true. And that's part of the definition of an agnostic. You know. Um, I think about this and I know that this agnostic temperament, it's not something to celebrate and cling to. And I want to clear that up. This might, you know, I don't look to be controversial, but I want to just point something out because sometimes I hear people kind of wear it like a badge of honor. Well, I'm an agnostic and well, we don't want to be ashamed of necessarily where we stand, but it's not something to cling to agnosticism, because I don't think we can remain agnostic and recover. Because just look at what it says in There's a Solution. On page 25, it says very clearly, the great fact is just this. This is on page 25 in There's a Solution. So I'm going to kind of flip to another chapter for a minute. And it says the great fact is just this and nothing less. 
that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. So if that's my solution, that this central fact is that I'm certain, right? That God has entered my heart doesn't sound very agnostic. It doesn't sound like it's, you know, unachievable to say there's absolutely a God and there's absolutely a way that we can cultivate a relationship with it. You know, and, and so I also think it's worth, let's look at the way the preceding chapter ends. And it'll kind of tell us why this is so important for us, this absolute certainty, why we have to let go of our agnosticism. Because this chapter, the chapter more about alcoholism ends with page 43 at the bottom. There's the last two sentences say, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. So basically I have no other choice but to believe in a higher power, right? I must believe. I can't have this, well, it's impossible kind of opinion. I can't have that position. And then we agnostics, here's how it opens up. Page 44, the first paragraph. Now we're gonna jump into the, to this chapter. It says, in the preceding chapters, you've learned something of alcoholism. We hope that we have made clear that distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. So this is how we diagnose ourselves. We diagnose ourselves by saying, well, I can't quit and I can't moderate, right? And that's my diagnosis. And if that's true for me, if I cannot quit and I cannot moderate, if that's the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will overcome. That's it. So if you can't quit and you can't moderate, then being agnostic is going to be something you must be willing to let go of, not cling to it like a badge of honor. In our fellowship, it's not a badge of honor. It should not be. My non-belief is something that I'm supposed to be willing to lay aside. I'm supposed to be willing to divorce myself from non-believing positions. You know, because we can't expect a miraculous intervention, right? Which is the only thing that can relieve us. We're told that in step one, that nothing but an act of providence, right? We must have an experience with the miraculous. So I can't expect a miraculous intervention 
and not believe in the possibility and actually the probability of a miraculous power's existence. Of course I have to believe in that, right? So I think it's very interesting also how the words are chosen here. And I'm gonna read this here. It says to one who feels he is an atheist or an agnostic, such an experience seems impossible, but to continue as he is means disaster, especially if he's an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Notice that it says, if you feel you're an atheist or an agnostic, it's as though they already know you're not really an atheist or an agnostic. You just feel it. You just sort of feel that way. And merely, you know, um, I would say for me, you know, just like I felt hungry, right? I was like, I'm hungry or, or I felt unimportant or I felt hurt or I felt cheated. I felt lots of things, feelings, feelings, feelings. None of it was real. None of it was actual. I was not actually hungry. I was not actually rejected. I was not actually cast aside by God, right? We're people who cannot rely on our feelings for direction. My feelings, especially in step two, they're not reliable for me. That's why there's no chapter called into feeling. This is not a program of a feelings-based solution. Doesn't mean we don't honor each other's feelings and, and our, you know, and our emotions, but we're not going to base our directions solely on, on our feelings. Um, and I would say for myself, where my feelings are concerned, it's inaccurate data. You know, my feelings were not always barometers of the truth. They were just how I felt. Um, and, um, you know, so I felt like I was agnostic or atheist, but I wasn't really. And, and you know, not tonight, but further on, probably ne next time when we go through the rest of the chapter, we're going to come back to this. The fact that you're not really an atheist or an agnostic. Um, okay, so now it says to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. So here again, I'm faced with two choices. Die of an alcoholic death, a death of compulsive overeating, or live on a spiritual basis. Either I'm going to build a relationship with God, or I'm going to die, right? And I'm not just going to die, right? Because I'm a human being, and we do have our lives are finite. They're not infinite. But I'm going to die an alcoholic death. I'm going right? My, my, my death might be guaranteed, right, at some point, but it is not a guarantee that I need to die from compulsive overeating. I'll tell you that had I continued the way that I was continuing, I was going to die from this disease. That had I not been willing, right, to admit the possible existence of something bigger than me, to start where I was, I am certain I was going to die. My own experience was I was over 300 pounds. I, was, I had dangerously high blood pressure. I had many physical consequences. And having physical consequences, even that wasn't enough to get me to do anything about it. I lacked 
power. I lacked power. So I had to build a relationship with God. I had no other options left, right? Page 45 says lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously, right? Obviously, it had to be something more powerful than me. Because if, if the power that I had were enough power, I would have done it, right? Um, my dilemma was not lack of knowledge, right? I had loads of knowledge about what I should eat, what I shouldn't eat what foods were problematic, what eating behaviors were problematic. I had so much information. I had a lot of knowledge that wasn't enough. Nor was it lack of motivation. I had, clearly I had motivation. I was motivated and I did not lack desire. And oftentimes I did not lack willingness. I was willing, I was willing to, to stop eating. I was willing to, to give it a go. I was willing to try. My problem is that I can't rely on what I know and I can't rely on what I want and I can't rely on outside rewards and consequences. Those things are unreliable power sources for me. And that explains why diets that set out to teach me better eating wouldn't work for me. And I would guarantee, I'm looking at the numbers here, there's 138 of you. I would guarantee that every single one of you, I'd be shocked to find one person among us who hadn't tried another way, right? Who didn't give it their best shot, who wasn't motivated, who didn't have some useful information, who didn't suffer some consequences, who knew the rewards. I knew the rewards of sane eating. I wanted those rewards. I even experienced some of them for glimpses of time. And that wasn't enough, right? So I could actually, for me, this also explains why I could put sugar down. I could put compulsive overeating down, but I couldn't keep it down couldn't keep it down for any length of time. I could want this more than anything and still not have the power to do what I wanted. And if you find yourself in this predicament, makes sense that we're gonna need a higher power, something more powerful than the power that we've got. Okay, so now, but where and how are we gonna find this power? Well, keep reading, page 45 tells us, well, that's exactly what this book is about. That's what the book's all about. The main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. So enable, what does it mean to enable? If this book is gonna enable me to find this power, it means that the book is going to provide us with the means and the opportunity, and it's going to make it possible, practical, and somewhat simple, right? That's the object of the book, 
to get me so that I can have a relationship with God. The book is specifically written so that we can have an opportunity to find God. And its intention is to make it possible, practical, and easy. Our book is written so we have the directions for finding God. I think that's incredible that we actually have a text that gives people like me and you, addicts like us, directions for finding God. Pretty powerful. You know, and so page 45, if that's what our text is, then we've written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And it means, of course, we're going to talk about God. So we're going to talk about spiritual. We're going to talk about moral, right? We're going to have to invite a new moral code in, new honorable way of living. And we're going to have to talk about God. Make no mistake, God's gonna be brought up here. And I think that's important information for us. What do we talk about? What is the dialogue that we're supposed to be having with one another? What are we supposed to talk about at meetings? Our meetings should talk about God and how to cultivate a relationship with God. Our meetings are specifically meant to help us form relationships with God. Our conversations with fellows, right? Should be about helping us form a relationship with God. That should be the purpose of our dialogue, of our discussion. We're going to look for humans to help us, right? And if I'm gonna look for humans to help me, I wanna make sure that these are humans that are helping me to do the right thing. What is the right thing? helping me to find God, right? That should be what the work is that we're doing together. Page 45, here difficulty arises with agnostics, right? Remember, agnostics are people who say, I don't believe, and I don't believe that anybody can fully believe. I don't believe that anybody could know for sure. And so we've got difficulty there when people come to us in that position. When I came in that position, but we feel hope when we find people who understand our problems. We feel hope when we have fellowship. And again, that's the purpose of our fellowship. Our fellowship is supposed to offer hope. We're supposed to be beacons of hope for one another. But when God is mentioned, we don't feel quite so helpful. hopeful. That's what it says. It's like, we feel hopeful we meet people with a common problem. But when they start talking about God, it's like, uh-uh, mm-mm, no doors closed. Don't want that. So we have honest doubt and prejudices, meaning we're not being difficult or stubborn and we're not hiding this back. I think it's okay when we meet people and they say, I have doubt, I have prejudice, and I have doubt. It does not mean that they're being difficult or stubborn. When somebody, when a new sponsee tells you or a fellow tells you, I don't know that I believe and I'm struggling to believe and I don't quite get this thing. I don't think that we're supposed to shun them, right? I don't think they're supposed to hide that fact from us. I think they're supposed to bring it out into the light of day so that we can discuss it, right? And what are we gonna discuss? We're gonna discuss their doubts 
and their prejudices. It's an important thing for us to discuss with one another. What are our doubts and what are our prejudices? So here we go in the text. Number one, the word God brought up a particular idea of him with which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. So a prejudice that someone has, someone may have, is someone tried to force you to believe, maybe in your youth, somebody tried to shove it down your throat. And I would say maybe they tried to force you to believe, but perhaps never demonstrated the benefits of believing, right? How many of us, we're kind of given a lot of talk, but not a lot of walk. That we missed seeing the practical application of the belief, but we were given a lot of education about a belief. And so if that's your case, that's something you should discuss with your sponsor. That's something you should share with your fellows. Like, hey, my, my parents kept talking and talking and talking about it, but they never showed it to me. We got to bring that out into life today. That's a prejudice. Number two, a particular conception seemed inadequate, inadequate, not capable. So the God that you were presented with, you didn't feel was able to help you with your food problem, that you sort of felt like you were given this conception of God and you couldn't understand, you didn't feel like it was a reliable power source to help you with your food. And that's something that should be brought out into the light of day, discussed, right? Number three, maybe your prejudice is that you thought that faith and dependence upon a power beyond ourselves was somewhat weak or cowardly. So a sponsee or a fellow should say, you know, without being insulting, but say, you know what? I think like people that believe in this power, I think they might be weak and, and, and fear-driven people. That's a, that's a prejudice that I'm having. That's a preconceived idea that I have. And I would say, you know, we can gently point out to them that maybe they're feeling smugly superior to religious God-dependent people. And maybe that is really a lack of humility. That was my own. That was an obstacle. Here I was over 300 pounds and I felt superior to people who believed, like I couldn't stop eating, but there was this part of me that thought I was too good for it. Like I kind of looked down on it, like it was beneath my consideration. And it was lovingly, gently, but firmly pointed out to me, really, how's that working for you, right? How's your smug superiority? Is it helping you to feel superior to other people? Are you really, are you really, you know? Number four, we looked upon this world of warring individuals and warring theological systems. So a prejudice people might have is even religions can't get along, right? And the people that follow the theological systems and the actual systems themselves, like maybe that's the prejudice you're having. Like what in the world? People are fighting over God. How is this? How is this gonna work for me? We've gotta bring that out into the light of day. And, and have a discussion about that, right? And five, an inexplicable calamity with deep skepticism. You know, so maybe your prejudice is that there's all this tragedy in the world. There's losses, murders, natural disasters. 
how can there be a God that I can rely on when there's so much loss and sadness in the world? And I would say I had my own specific experience with that. I felt, how could there be a God when I suffered my own loss? I needed, I needed a place where I could say that out loud and not pretend that that thought wasn't honestly in my brain. Because remember, it says we have to be honest about where we come. We have to be honest with somebody about where we're starting. You know, number six, we looked askance at many individuals who claim to be godly. So askance, meaning I looked with distrust and disapproval that I couldn't trust people who claim to be godly. And I would also, I would look at people in my own life who claimed, just because they claimed it doesn't mean they were, by the way, but they claimed to be godly people and I just didn't see them as practicing it. And that was a prejudice that I had, right? Seven, how could a supreme being have anything to do with it all, right? With all of this. And who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? And that was a prejudice I had. I can't rely on something I don't understand. That was my thinking. That was the preconceived notion I had. If I don't understand it, then I can't, then I can't utilize it, right? Um, and I would say things like, and I've heard people say, well, I can't really take step two because I don't know what my conception of God is yet. I'm still trying to figure out what my belief is, how, what I think about God what God really is. And I would ask lots of questions of other people. What is your higher power? And I would sort of use it as, yeah, no, I don't like that one. Nope, doesn't work. Nope, doesn't work. And it was my excuse, right? It was like, well, then, you know, um, I don't understand it. So therefore I don't need to use it. And yet none of these factors, none of these even are a factor at all when I experience the awe and wonder of the natural world, right? For example, a starlit night, it says. And for many of us, nature is one entry point, but we're kind of warned it's fleeting. Like we look at those starlit nights and they might be beautiful and they might give us a glimmer that there's something bigger than us. And yet that's still not enough, right? It's still not enough. Well, guess what? Here's some good news, right? Here's the good news. We of agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences. So if you've had those prejudices, those thoughts, those experiences, let us make haste to reassure you that we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. This should be incredibly comforting if you're a doubter. I find it incredibly comforting. If you're agnostic, right? It says we have had, not we still have. So they got over it. It says, we have had these thoughts and experiences, meaning we don't hold on to those thoughts and experiences anymore. We got, 
we got past it. Those of us who recovered found a way to get past, to get over our prejudices, right? Our obstacles, our blockages. They got past the hurdle, right? How, how, how do we get past those hurdles? Well, it says they laid aside their prejudices. They laid them aside. They put them over here to the side, right? I didn't just throw them out because how am I gonna throw out my prejudices? But I'm smart enough to take all my prejudices, all my blockages and put them here for the moment, right? I said, maybe, right? They did not say, I did not say, I won't believe. I will not believe. That's different than I'm struggling to believe, right? I won't believe, a refusal to believe. What happens instead? They said, maybe, maybe we could start from maybe. Maybe is enough to take action. I can get results from something I don't understand. Just like the results I get from my cell phone, my car, my laptop, electricity, I don't require understanding to utilize the power that they provide for me, right? I don't wait until I understand all of those things in order to use those things, right? I use them because I see they're effective. They work. These things work. And so my litmus test is not understanding how they work, right? If I waited to understand how generators and electricity work, no kid, no child would ever flick on a light switch, right? And I was tur- I've been turning on light switches since I, since I was a toddler and I could walk into a dark room and turn on the light, right? Did not need to understand it in order to utilize it. Same thing here. What's required? Willingness. Willingness to believe is all that's required to make a start. And so there's some other comforting statements here. It says, we did not need, here's another good piece of news, did not need to consider another conception of God. I don't need to consider another person's. And our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient enough to make the approach and to affect a contact with him. So, If your sponsor or a fellow or me right now, right? I'm a fellow and I'm talking to you. Start speaking about a conception of God that does not align with your belief system. You don't have to even consider it. That's what it says. You don't have to consider my conception of God. I cannot give someone my conception and tell them that this is their prescription that they must believe what I believe, right? That's not required. The other helpful thing here is that even my uncertainty and even my forming conception, right? It's it's a forming concept. It's enough to start, right? Just think about how incredible that is, that we have a God who is so eager to help us that he's willing to make contact 
like right away. I think about it like this. It's like, I have no idea how to build a plane, but somehow if I believe that I can build a plane and I start taking out the tools, I've got a God that lets me fly before the plane is even built. How is that? And I don't even have to understand what a plane is, right? But that's how quick God is to move in to help. You know, as soon as we admitted the conception, the possible, I'm sorry, as soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, of a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. We found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive to the, or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all men. So God is right there making contact with us humans, flawed, selfish, fearful, addicted humans, so long as we're seeking. That's the only thing that's required is my seeking. God wants to have a relationship with us. That's what this chapter is telling me. God longs to have a relationship with each one of us in our broken, in our broken selves. And I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in the lives of others. Once we start seeking and start taking simple steps, we begin to get assistance, right? And what does this look like? What are those simple steps? I would say for us, it's the simple steps suggested by the people who have cultivated their own relationship and who are offering their guidance, who are offering help and who seem to demonstrate for us that they have a relationship with this power. And there's an important, here's an important qualification in seeking. We have some direction for seeking. Page 47 says, do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms defer, deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. At the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth, to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood him. So in order to have your first conscious contact, right? The first contact, the step two is incredible because this is where we actually, human beings walking around on earth, like unable to stop eating, we actually start having contact, awake and aware of a contact with the divine, with a higher power. And in order to have our first contact where we're awake and alert to it, we have to put our prejudices aside and ask what each of the spiritual terms mean to you. And what are the spiritual terms? Right? What do they mean when they say spiritual terms? Well, I would say 
any word in this book used to describe God or used in place of the word God are spiritual terms. And we can find them. I started it one time with the Sponsi and I kind of, I, I gave up, but maybe I, every now and then I get this, this desire to do it again, to start scouring the book and listing all the spiritual terms, all the words that, that the book uses for God. And you know them because they're capitalized, right? And in this chapter, some of the ones that I've stumbled upon are higher power, supreme being, creative intelligence, spirit of the universe, realm of the spirit, right? And it's a worthwhile endeavor to find all the spiritual terms you can and really ask yourself, what do they mean for you? What does it mean, higher power? What does that mean for you? And that that's a place to start. And I'll share with you a little bit of my own experience, right? For myself, where I started with higher power, I started with, I knew what the opposite was. I clearly knew what my lowest weakness was. I was living in the lowest weakness. That's the way that my life was. And for me, I said, well, then what's a higher power? Well, it must be whatever the lowest weakness is not, right? So I came here, my lowest weakness was self-righteous indignation, okay? My higher power could not be self-righteous, right? My lowest power was like greed, never-ending desire for more, 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 more. My higher power had to be contentment, fulfillment, right? My lowest weakness was hurt feelings, mad, you know, displeased, like feeling like I was getting the short end of the stick. My higher power had to be complete gratitude, acceptance, right? Love for others, no judgment. And I started with that, right? And then I thought about supreme being. Well, what does supreme being mean for me? It means something that is superior to everything out there, more powerful, more incredible than anything I could imagine. And those were the things I started looking at these terms and really asking myself, what do they mean for me? What does this mean, right? Um, and, and those were the endeavors. That's a way to start. You know, it says here too, the word conception is used a lot. And I think there's some misunderstanding and misinterpretations about the word conception. The word conception is used and not concept, right? So conception means beginning. Concept means an idea. So I can start with a conception. I can start with the beginning, with the beginning. You know, um, I, I want to share a little bit of a story with you. One of my stumbling blocks, one of my prejudices where I thought I needed to understand God. And I used my logic, my intelligence, which was not very comforting and did not give me the required power. 
I had this kind of smart ass attitude where I took step one, I admitted that I had a brain that was deeply broken where food and weight and diets were concerned. I knew it. I was like, I am powerless and my brain does not work effectively. And then I remembered reading, why don't you form your own conception? And I thought, I interpreted it as meaning, why don't you make up God? Why don't you just make it up? Go ahead, make it up. And my smart alecky attitude was, wait a second, you just told me that my brain is broken. And now you want me to use my broken brain, my flawed, lower weakness functioning brain to make up a God. How is that gonna benefit me? How am I even capable of making up God if I have a broken brain? And my next thought, you know, I share this a lot, really for me was where my God, where God knew how to communicate with me. For me, my higher power communicated with to me through a voice in my brain that was not my own. And for me, it really sounded an awful lot like something my dad would say to me. And I do not believe that God is my father, my actual dad. I do like to say my heavenly father. I do believe that God is father of all, father of light that presides over us all. My earthly father was just an incredible man that God placed in my life. And I think God used a voice that, that he knew would be effective for me. And what I heard in my brain when I said that, hmm, what do you want me to make up my own God? I heard my dad's voice in my head say, you want to get better or not? Maybe you don't know everything. Stop being so smart. And you know what? That was enough for me to consider a conception, to consider a start, a start where I could lay aside the prejudice that I had to understand God. And in fact, you know what? I wasn't wrong. That's right. I was not capable of making up a God. I'm human. My, my conception, my concept would be completely self-centered, would be, would be the genie God, would be a Santa Claus God. And that didn't work. But I certainly had the skills to start, to make a conception, right? Conception needs beginning. I, so now we're told, do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? As long as you can say, you know what? I believe that there's something bigger than me. There's something more powerful than me. As soon as a man can say that he does believe that or is even willing to believe that, we emphatically assure him he's on his way. If you're on your way, if you can say, you know what, there's got to be something bigger than me. There must be something more powerful than me. And I'm willing to lay aside what I, all the things I believed before and make a consideration, right? And once you take that position, we assure you, you're on your way. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. And that's been my experience, that I have had a wonderfully 
effective. Effective meaning I don't eat compulsively, nor do I want to. I don't worry about my body. I don't worry about diets. I don't worry about food. I've surrendered entirely. I have a new relationship with everybody in my life that is much more beneficial than anything I've ever had before. And upon the simple cornerstone of there's something bigger than me, a wonderfully effective structure can be built. And I'm going, I've got 10 minutes. I wanna make sure that we leave time for questions. Um, and um, so I'm gonna stop at this point and we will pick up the next time.